0: Gene, I, this is, I guess, a stupid question, but do you love your jo- do you love your job like working at CTV? I'm
1: like great intro. I'm like I totally love my job. Like in in the simplest of answers, yes. In mm-hmm. you know, opening Pandora's box, there's many layers to that. To that, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm, I'm the same. So, like, since college, like working with you has been probably the most balanced and happiest that i've been
1: yay Um, i okay mission accomplished we can close a business we're good (laughs) like (laughs) knock on wood though that's not gonna happen
0: because i spent like three years not having a great work-life balance or not being all that happy so Mm -hmm. like having the ability to uh, number one use like the skills that i think that i have in a way that is better because i like i have technical knowledge with engineering but i don't think i'm particularly good at like I don't think that fine detailed technical mm-hmm. work is my my calling. It's mm-hmm. mostly the, the project managing stuff and the client stuff and just like more general business. You know, I guess I feel as yeah. I'm better at
1: it's like it's funny, um that Ochiko just mentioned she had a lot of soft skills and I think that's what you have, which again mm-hmm. I was also telling my mom, I was like I think calvin should be a director like right now please be pm and please be like techie soft boy and everything um but i think like in like two years type of thing i was like no i think you'd be a good director because those are all soft skills to be a director you can't go to school and be like, my major is director, to tell people how to do things, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough, cause like I have hard skills. Like I can do things and I have like, uh, I have the kind of, what's it called, temperament mm-hmm. to like go out and learn how to do like hard skills mm-hmm. for the most part. Like I don't really want to know how to code, but. Um, <laughs> when it comes to just like what i i like excel at more naturally i think it is yeah more like soft skills
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah Uh, i think you're you're sort of similar too. i think i mean obviously you have like a lot of very technical or very Mm -hmm. creative skills but i think you do Prefer and excel.
1: Uh... I don't know if I excel, but like I know I have a lot of soft skills. I think I feel like hard skills don't count with me because I'm in like I'm in my element, you know, mm. right? Like color drawing's not hard for me, designing's not too hard for me, like figuring out a program's not too hard for me. But it's because I'm in my element. If you were to throw me in like a mechanic shop or in engineering or in cooking. Mm. I don't have any of those hard skills, and if I were to try to learn, I'd be terrible at it. So like,
0: it's fun. It's funny because you know. I think you love your job because of the agency, and I love the job because of like a fit. A more, it's yeah. a better fit.
1: I'm nodding my and head extremely. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I guess the benefit of like having agency is that you can start to influence the fit over mm-hmm. a period of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the moment, it's mostly the like having the the self determination yeah. to like decide things right is yeah. that what's the most appealing
1: yeah I think so I, I really enjoy being able to own my choices and it's like well mm-hmm. I don't have to stay up to 4am but like I decided to so like mm-hmm. that's no one you can making, only blame yourself yeah I can only blame myself <laughs> or I can only thank myself type of thing like I'm the only I'm making those decisions you know and not external factors are forcing me to and so that's what I think contributes to me loving the job is that like There's literally zero expectations for me, which is why I enjoy this job. You know, there's expectations.
0: Yeah, I think you have your own, you have very high expectations of yourself, but there are no external expectations, which we'll get into later, actually.
1: This conversation started because your friend had asked you about, you know, do you love your job or like, yeah, and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, I have a good friend who uh, at least a couple of weeks ago was going through a bit of a crisis related to what it looks like to love your job and what it feels like to be fulfilled and it it got me thinking a lot about like you know what that means what it looks like for me and what i think it should look like for people in general so i Mm. I pitched it to jean and she was like oh yeah that's that's a great topic Mm -hmm. because i think we had similar feelings about it but they're very complicated feelings (laughs) so today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to love your job And then also what it might look like if you don't love your job, how you can move forward from there. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm Calvin. And I'm Jean. And this is 27, a podcast about growing up. So Jean, uh, what does it mean to you to love your job? And what does that look like?
1: Uh, First part of I think loving your job is feeling like you can soulfully thrive. I think like feelings of joy and feelings of like support for other people, they don't feel like such a hurdle achieved because when you kind of think about it, happiness shouldn't be a hard journey. Like happiness should just be a part of your life daily. And if it's so hard to be happy in your job, there's a disconnect there. But if it's just very easy to be like, and I don't mean happy like euphoric, happy either. It's like a contentment that you're mm-hmm. okay with and that like the quality of life that your soul is having is okay with. And whether your job plays a big role in your life or a small role, you know, that's that's also up to you.
0: I think as humans, we like chase euphoria, but it's, it's like a really unsustainable feeling and that contentment is really like the happiness that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Euphoria is like good in the moment, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it fades after no longer than yeah. two hours.
1: <laughs> <laughs> two hours, there's a time limit on it.
0: Yeah, it kind of
1: is what it means to love your job and at least for me is the idea that there's no expectations and i don't mean that like there's no guidelines or there's no like things that you have to be accountable for it just means that you're not portraying some unrealistic expectation upon yourself that you feel that you have to love your job because you graduated with this degree because you are $60,000 in debt like me you know uh, from from your college degree and all this stuff and now you have to love it because those are the expectations you set upon yourself when you're able to like walk in the door every day and you're just like I'm just gonna do my job
0: I I hate giving these kinds of answers because I think like they're such big cop-outs, but Mm -hmm. I think to love your job looks different for everybody. And it's sort (laughs) of, (laughs) rather than- That's a very
1: PR answer.
0: It's just like, rather than saying like, oh, you need to have this to love your job. Mm -hmm. I think it's more like if your job fits into your life the way that you want it to, then that's loving your job. Like my immediate thought was it looks like fulfillment, Mm -hmm. but I think there are tons of people who are happy with their lives. And enjoy what they do at their job, mm-hmm. and do not feel fulfilled at, in the slightest with what they do. I think yeah. it's a very like privileged place to say that your job is fulfilling, mm-hmm. uh, because I think about maybe like a an elderly woman who works at reception. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't like that's not her life stream <laughs> to do that, but she still like probably loves her job, and she mm-hmm. still probably you know enjoys those small moments where she gets to talk to people and where she gets to do scheduling things or I don't yeah. know. Like she feels
1: like she and- has purpose. Right? Exactly. Yeah,
0: and I think that it, it differs for everybody. So I don't think it's necessarily. Anything involving a deterministic thing I think it's Mm -hmm. mostly that The job occupies the amount of space That you want it to in your life Some people want Mm -hmm. really really intense jobs Where Mm -hmm. they're constantly doing things And that makes them feel very productive And feel very Mm -hmm. important And some people that's like too much responsibility for them And they just want to have a life Where they can make money and be stable So that they can be Mm -hmm. there for their family and friends And Mm -hmm. I think that those people both love their jobs But they love them differently But Mm -hmm. the thing that they have in common is that the job takes up the appropriate amount of space in their lives. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was about to say, like, you can't go 100 or zero all the time. You can't do those extreme things because that's escapism. You're going to find something that's like a a good, like, 60 to 75% of your time, you know, basically. And like, whether that 60% of the time is you really love your job or your job is just a job, that's kind of like a good balance, basically
0: i think that's a big misconception about loving your job that idea that loving your job is waking up and then you know like a disney movie (laughs) the birds are fixing your hair and the rats are like sewing your dress or whatever yeah that loving your job means that you wake up with a smile on your face and like all that stuff and then you realize it's just not sustainable Mm -hmm. and it's just not possible Mm -hmm. (laughs) like even in the most idealistic of idealistic worlds i don't think that a human being could feel like that every day of their entire life. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, i But figured. I think even if we don't say it explicitly, I think a lot of college students are graduating thinking. I mean, maybe not anymore because Gen Z is so jaded. But <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of millennials graduated thinking like, "Oh, loving your job looks like loving, like loving it mm-hmm. every single moment of the day." Mm-hmm. And it, I don't think that that really makes any sense. Yeah. Now that I like lived it. <laughs>
1: The misconception of loving your job was that you were fulfilling a fantasy lifestyle of being Cinderella, birds doing your hair, and like whatever leveling up expectation you had for yourself. Because that was definitely me when I thought I was really loving and thriving in my job, being blonde and being really bougie for unnecessary reasons and then what that really is is just escapism Mm -hmm. and you're fulfilling a fantasy lifestyle. You had mentioned it earlier actually.
0: I felt it a lot when I was working where I was thinking about the future and i was thinking about like i'm going to get to the point where i feel stable and then mm-hmm. i'm going to get to the point where things feel better mm-hmm. and like you said like that's a fantasy because you're like oh things will be great when i turn 13 yeah. things will be great when i turn 16 15. and then i am going to turn 21 oh, yeah. and then when i turn 25 and it's like it's never gonna happen yeah. you just need to enjoy the moment that you're in yeah there you go th- it's like that old office quote that people have like really come around to lately it's like i wish i knew when the good times were when they were happening Mm -hmm. so that i could (laughs) enjoy them and it's like you just have to be in the moment be Mm -hmm. present enjoy the things that you have and if you can't do that then that's a a signal that you don't love what you're doing
1: if you're able to work with reality and the things that are actually factors in your life then that means like you're managing your expectations and you will eventually either love your job or realize you don't love it, but you're not lying to yourself about it.
0: You can find the good in today, Mm -hmm. not that you are looking for good tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Jean, how much time do you spend actually enjoying, like physically Mm -hmm. thinking to yourself, like, I am having a good time? (laughs) How much time do you spend doing that?
1: Um, That's usually between the hours of like 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. when I actually get (laughs) to like do the thing and not like putting out the fire. And -hmm. then the rest of the day is like we need to email this, oh, the contractor we work with, like, where did they go? Why didn't so, and so like answer their text yet. Yeah. Um, So yeah. I guess 10% loving the job, 10% being a little mad, you know, and then like 80% just doing it.
0: I think it's funny that like the consistency that you have with your answer, because <laughs> 10 to 2am is like when you have nobody yeah. having any expectations yeah. of you, it's just you.
1: <laughs> I'm um, a very consistent person.
0: <laughs> that's the it's just Taurus she's a Taurus everybody (laughs) I think that the most important thing to note about those numbers too is that you have 10% good and 10% like terrible because when you like are actually really invested in the work that you're doing you get as frustrated when people do things wrong Mm -hmm. as you get happy when things go right there is like a balance it's it's not 100% happy or even like 50% happy 50% neutral like Mm -hmm. there has to be that balance of feeling bad because you truly care about the things that you're doing.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What were some jobs where you're like, yeah, 10%, I really do love it. <laughs> and then the, the 10%, I'm like, ugh. Uh,
0: I think that I was really lucky when uh, before like working full time because I had a lot of opportunities to like work jobs that were really fun and weird that I like truly enjoyed. My jobs before I was working full time, like while I was in college and while I was in high school, uh, I worked as a RA for two years. I worked as an orientation leader. Uh, a graphic designer for the student government and then for uh, the yearbook. I don't know. Technical is a class. I would count
1: yearbook. I, that was a lot of work. Like, I yeah. remember that was a lot of work. Yeah.
0: The things that I love most about all every single one of those jobs was how community-based they were. Even when I was working in graphic design at student government in an office of five people, all of us were like really close in a way that felt really special. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like RAs. RAs have like a really strong bond with each other because... We're the only people who really understand what the other ones are going through because, Mm -hmm. you know... You're managing like 500
1: students.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, it's hard to understand what an RA does unless you're actually an RA. Mm -hmm. But I mean, every job had, like I said, tough moments when things were not going the way that I had envisioned them. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, not everybody was on the same page. But because I enjoyed the work so much and because I cared about the people that I worked with so much, Mm -hmm. it wasn't something that made the job feel unbearable. Mm -hmm. It just was like something that I had to get through, something I had to, you know, pull up my big boy pants and Mm -hmm. then like figure out.
1: I I guess this kind of also goes back to what you were saying, how you got to do different things, because you're doing like all these jobs also at like different (laughs) times or like at the same time for certain things. and. I guess when you had to go focus on, like, the one thing of engineering, it was like, Mm -hmm. is this just the one thing? And you're like, I don't know. Um, (laughs) The job that I really enjoyed before Studio DPJ was actually working at the Natural History Museum. Mm -hmm. So for a good four years of my life, I was putting some insects and flies and, like, isopods into 70% or 95% ethanol. The riveting. Yeah, very riveting, especially when you... Whoever works in like uh, in science will probably know—not even just science, but like you know, biology, you know, all that good stuff. But no, I really enjoyed that job because now it's just gonna prove that how consistent I am without realizing I was consistent is because during the time I was there, there was zero expectations for me, versus <laughs> like. Just
0: First, put the put the cotton in. And yeah, that's
1: it. just just the cotton. Um, and you know, making sure that you correctly identify whether a Ford fly was a female or a male. You know, sometimes you get hermaphrodites, and that was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed it because like there, I felt like when I was in any creative field, there was this weird level of competition, and you also started to feel like groups of students were like bonding together based on their skill level you know to a certain degree Mm -hmm. and it wasn't to say like oh i was a great designer or anything because i I was only a student but i was definitely the one student who was like consistently for fun i would design the only reason i had this answer is because my professor would ask who does design outside of class and i was the only one so there was just like i guess envy from other students because it would come through during the critiques and I think that was just an environment i didn't enjoy because expectations was so high of like well you're either gonna be a, like you're gonna have a really good project anyways or like i hope mm-hmm. your project sucks right mm-hmm. and then at the natural history museum all you have to do was cotton stop make sure you correctly identified things and then the environment was just like i started to mm-hmm. just go to the museum on my saturdays for fun to just curate because i just enjoyed being there and we would mm-hmm. stay till like midnight and like eat there do our dishes take a nap mm. you know it was just, we ended up enjoying it so much and i think that's why i was like okay if you love your job you'll want to be there and you'll want to like just enjoy that space that makes you most content versus i did mm. not want to be in my classroom at all besides the professors that i like but i didn't really want to be in the classroom because everyone was just so like <laughs> mm. i'm making signals yeah yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, that pretty much wraps up what we wanted to talk about for loving your job. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about like passion and work because like we were talking about this misconception that your passion should be your work Mm -hmm. or that you should really care deeply about the thing that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, how do you feel about that?
1: I feel like it's something, it's like a proofing system for folks who are passionate, who have like a strong passion, especially in like a creative field, there's this weird level of understanding that like, oh, if you're really passionate about your work, you're going to get paid from it. Like you have to get paid from it. You know, so many people then aspire to like go down this weird like design influencer or coach expert or some type of hustler mentality to prove to the world that they are passionate. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how I feel about like people who try to turn their passion into their work because I don't think I turned my passion to work. You can tell me I'm wrong, Calvin. But I feel like what I genuinely enjoy doing is just it's not my work. It's just what I genuinely enjoy doing. And then the work itself is a work.
0: I don't necessarily think that it is your passion. I think you've been really clear about that on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think what you've done is you've taken something that you're good at and you're networked in and you've turned it into your job, which is, I mean, like a normal thing to yeah. do, right? <laughs> like it's it's a natural progression of things. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are built for having the passion be their work. And mm-hmm. some people really want that. They want every single waking moment of their life to be related to work. Mm-hmm. And I, so I say that with like a t- kind of negative tone, but I don't mean it negatively. I just mean to say that, like, it's not for me. And I don't think that it's for a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been very vocal on the podcast to say that I'm a very big proponent of just keeping your hobbies as hobbies Mm -hmm. because making something your job can take a lot away from the passion that you have. Mm -hmm. And for me, like, I've considered it on multiple occasions, Mm -hmm. making photography more of a thing for me, making photography something that I can monetize. Mm -hmm. But then, I look at like the process of trying to, you know, expand my reach on Instagram or to try to sell photos to my like prints to my friends. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't wanna do all that. Cause yeah. it, it kind of like taints it for me.
1: No, I feel you on that. Yeah.
0: I like take a picture and I look at it and I'm like, ah, that's nice. Yeah. And I don't have to think about like will other people like it and how much will it sell and how big do I have to print like is this good enough to like good enough quality to print like I don't Mm -hmm. have to think about all that it's nice
1: yeah (laughs) and
0: that's what that's sort of the benefit to like not making your passion, your work is mm-hmm. that you can just enjoy it and it can be for you. And mm-hmm. then that's all that it needs to be. Like you said, yeah. no expectations. Yeah, yeah, no, I um, think that
1: was a, now I'm backtracking a little bit. Cause do you remember your girl used to draw all the time mm-hmm. and being a, before she had the identity crisis of like, what am I, if I don't draw? I think that's honestly kind of what happened when I went into school for art, trying to turn that passion of art into a career. You know, I lost that flame people have to understand the concept now. So it's not what I want to do for my drawing. It's what people have to interpret from it now. And then the like, you have to make a series. You have to do these things. You have to put it in an art show. You have to write about it this way. And then all of those levels just overwhelm the passion. And then like, the only times I draw now are definitely when I have to make a YouTube intro. I don't really draw for fun anymore. The The work that it does take to support that passion is so overwhelming that your brain just doesn't function the same way anymore. That like the passion is gonna be the first thing. It's now you're just thinking about the work.
0: But yeah. the, like, there's a big benefit of making your passion into your work. It, it really does give your life like a storyline mm-hmm. where you can watch the growth of an idea or like something that started as a small spark become like a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, there's a big coin toss of like whether you're able to maintain that. Mm-hmm. So let's say that somebody has done that and they've made their passion to their career. Uh, How would you say that that person can keep the motivation up and keep the mm-hmm. flame going.
1: Your, when you find whatever your passion is and you're going to turn it into a career or monetize it, you have to have like a purpose or mission that's beyond the form of that passion. So especially mm-hmm. if it was like photography or singing or drawing, for me, my passion was tied into the doing part of the drawing and like the painting mm-hmm. and being in all that, like the coloring, li- multiple layers. So when I didn't get to exercise that as much anymore, the passion that was tied to it just died because you just were not consistently doing it. You were consistently thinking about something else. Start to think about what is something that's going to be beyond your photography and like the story mm-hmm. that you're really trying to capture, because then that's going to be your drive to like consistently do the things. But also, everything else that you do is not overwhelming the passion. The passion is now just like another playing field of the work that supports mm-hmm. that purpose.
0: Because it's hard to keep up the passion of. Going into Lightroom and editing a photo, mm-hmm. but it is easy to keep up the passion of I'm telling a story about consumerism in the United States, mm-hmm. right? Or like <laughs> yeah. I'm sh- I'm highlighting the the homeless plight in yeah. Los Angeles. Like mm-hmm. those are things that you can keep up passion for that you can pull into a deeper well, yeah. as opposed to I like click button mm-hmm. make picture. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on a like slightly more macro scale. There's also having something else that you care about. I think that's a trap that a lot of people fall into is they take the only thing that they care about and mm-hmm. then they turn it into their entire life. Mm-hmm. And that can be really difficult because once you get burnt out on the thing that the only thing that you cared about, then it's like, oh, what what else Who is there? Who am <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so and I guess that, like Jean said, that's what happened with her in drawing mm-hmm. because she didn't really have another thing to turn to because so much of her...
1: My whole life was Her identity, around it. I yeah. Guess? yeah, yeah, no, yeah. My whole around, life like, was the around the physical it. act of drawing. Reference our uh, talent podcast because we talked a lot yes. about that. Yeah,
0: uh, my partner talked to me when we started dating. Um, was talking to me about the idea that it was cool that I was both doing design to a certain extent and Mm -hmm. then also engineering because it it sort of made me a more rounded person and that if I kind of tired from design, I could go to engineering or if I tired of engineering, I could go back to design Mm -hmm. and that they were wells that filled into each other. To a certain extent, I think there's like merit to that where Mm -hmm. if you have something else it can feed that motivation or like inspiration for something mm-hmm. else. I yeah. think a lot of people who like it can be related where mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who are in design are also very passionate about art history mm-hmm. or um like just art in general, which is different than design. So like the art that they consume informs their design mm-hmm. and then when they tire of the design they can go and like find it something else that yeah. they care about, but yeah. this can also be other things. Like yeah. if uh, Jean is very into her family, yeah. mm-hmm. um, so when she that. when she gets exhausted from design, she'll like go spend time with her nieces and nephews, mm-hmm. or with her mom, or mm-hmm. with her sister and yeah. her cousin, and then this, that like kind of reignites the flame for mm-hmm. her as well.
1: Because you also have tutoring on the side, and then I also have AIGA on the side, and those are like things that we do besides our jobs. Besides having like an outside interest, I think whatever outside interest or outside hobby or secondary thing you have, it has to be active also. So like, mm-hmm. it can't just be you on the phone on TikTok all the time, because then you're not like really exercising that like other energy you have, you know, cause mm-hmm. that's resting and you don't want to rest all the time because then you become kind of sedentary, right? Mm-hmm. So something, whether it's even playing video games, cause that's still something kind of active. I think by mm-hmm. having something that just kind of changes your pace a bit, helps keep you motivated in your job and motivated in doing things. We've been talking about like loving your job, how to be motivated, um, and especially like when you lose your passion for your job and it kind of leads to creative burnout. One of the things that kind of come up a lot was like paying your dues, Mm. you know, especially like in the creative field, there's this weird leveling up system on like, if you want to level up, you're going to pay your dues. You're going to consistently pay your dues and like honor the person before like to a certain extent that burns out people and then they're either like i'm gonna leave the creative industry or i'm gonna go start my own thing so what are your thoughts about paying dues calvin
0: so you mentioned it mostly with the creative industry but i think it happens pretty much in every like low level job Mm -hmm. is that there's this level of you just have to like put your head down and do the bitch work until you can get promoted and then you make other people do the bitch work <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, you and know they what I mean? no and then they call that mentoring oh my god yeah oh my god.
0: Um, to a certain extent that is a natural part of working and a natural part of growing mm-hmm. but i think that the form that it takes a lot of the time i don't really like especially like you said when it <laughs> when it becomes bitch work under the the nickname of mentoring yeah I I hate to use your phrasing because I feel like I'm stealing it from you, but Jean's called it a form of gatekeeping, and I completely agree, where you've kind of kept success from people and said, like, oh, in order to be successful, you need to do this very menial, very meaningless (laughs) work Mm -hmm. that doesn't, uh, a lot of the times doesn't really, like, benefit you in the future or, uh, well, yeah, in some fields it doesn't, in Mm -hmm. some fields it does, but...
1: Cause so there was bitch work yeah. that definitely like play into how we are able to do some things for Studio DBJ that I've learned along the way. But like I wouldn't make someone in our team do that. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how it became such this like prevalent phase, at least during my season of like interning and designing in a traditional industry. But it was like this weird justification that like my senior designers or my like older colleagues or like you know higher level up folks would say like you're just an intern you can't be an associate designer yet you have to pay your dues and it's like okay tell me how much then so i will pay the membership fee <laughs> right <laughs> but like there's none because no one really knows and what it really is is that it's this weird way of justifying keeping someone who might be more talented might be more creative or just might be younger into staying in that position to protect your position um And that was just like the only way to justify would be saying, oh, you have to pay your dues. But not everyone can afford to pay, especially for interning. When this weird conversation came up about interns who were starting to negotiate their pay. And I remember hearing some of my senior colleagues be like, can you believe so-and-so is asking for like $15 an hour or like $25 an hour? And Mm. it was just kind of like, I remember thinking like, dang, I I wish I had the guts to ask for that. But I was just like... I want credit, I want to be here. And so I was yeah. I was too God scared. God forbid
0: somebody with a college education and specialized skills ask to get paid for their labor.
1: I know, right? <laughs> and it was just like, well, what if the only reason I got the internship was because I was able to go for this unpaid internship for eight months or nine months mm-hmm. because I was able to say, yeah, I'm gonna hustle on the side to be able to pay my car type of thing. And mm-hmm. I will take this free internship versus someone who's not in the position to do that. And I, I even think about it because I'm like, yeah, we're only 28. And when people hear that, they're like, oh, you're a director at 28? Like, what does that mean type of thing? It's like, mm. well, age doesn't really contribute to your level of experience or in-depth knowledge. There's no reason to gatekeep talent and like, especially that raw passion that's so hard to find into protecting someone's job position.
0: It sucks because I can see the the benefit or I can see the rationale behind it Mm -hmm. so I don't want to make it seem like I completely disagree Mm -hmm. but there is a level of gatekeeping and this like sort of pay your dues mentality within what I experience, at least in engineering as well. I know it's pretty common within like most offices that when you start out you need to do extra homework and extra code review on your own outside Mm -hmm. of work and then that informs like the work that you do and then it also makes you be able to do your job better mm-hmm. i i always found that to be like really gatekeepy um at least from my personal experience i would have to drive an hour to an hour and a half uh one way to work and then i would stay at work for nine or ten hours mm-hmm. so that's like 12 or 13 hours of my day just related to work mm-hmm. and then there's an extra was it four four hours that mm-hmm. i get to myself that where i'm not in a car and i'm not in an office yeah and two to three of those hours are supposed to go towards studying code on my own and it's just I I don't think that that's reasonable for a lot of people and Mm -hmm. it really the mentality of number one having to do that and number two feeling unaccomplished if I didn't do that Mm -hmm. really like eroded at my my mental health Mm -hmm. when I was working because the feeling was either I did it and I was tired all the time and I didn't get to rest Mm -hmm. or I didn't do it and then I felt stupid at work yeah and it's, it's not to say that I didn't have opportunities to learn it while I was in the office but it was not a priority to like mentor me through mm-hmm. um that process and I don't think that it's very common for people to be mentored through that mm-hmm. except when being corrected yeah. which is a, a tough situation to be learning in mm-hmm. so it's not just within the creative field there is like a level of do-it-yourself that I think is really difficult mm-hmm. in um, That makes it difficult to love your job. Yeah.
1: Because when you break it down that way, Calvin, when you think about how much time you're going to spend in your job to go to and from your job and outside work, you have to do to support leveling up in your job. How much Mm. of your time in the day is actually dedicated to living? Not including sleeping, right? But if you want to include sleeping in there, like you only have like three to four hours to live each day.
0: And it limits the people who are successful to only the people who are willing to make their entire life their work, mm-hmm. which is not a lot of people, mm-hmm. and it's a—I think you'll find it's a very specific group of people yeah. <laughs> who were raised in an individualistic mindset as opposed to a community-based mindset. Yeah, I'm not naming names, but <laughs> <laughs> you'll—you'll find—you'll find something there. Um, The common defense for a lot of things like this is that, you know, you're just powering through it and you're just trying to like get through the hard times that you can get to the better times. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wanted to talk to Eugene about what you think the difference is between powering through hard times Mm -hmm. and then forcing yourself to stay in a bad situation.
1: Yeah, I was like, I think when you power through something you have an end goal in mind or you can see the finish line, right? So all you have to do is like get to the last leg of the race, forcing yourself to stay is you're just running. You don't know where you're Mm -hmm. running to you don't even know if you're running backwards but you're just running and i think those Mm -hmm. are like the two things you have to set for yourself when you're starting to ask like do you want to stay at this job or you're just like are you powering through because you just want to get three months on your resume or are you are you forcing yourself to stay because you're worried about instability you know Mm -hmm.
0: and i think that example that you give kind of leads to what i think the difference between powering through it and forcing yourself to stay is which is that when you're powering through it, it is something that you have decided for your own goal that you've set. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're forcing yourself to stay, that is an external pressure, either from your workplace or from your financial situation or from your family, mm-hmm. then you need to be at this job. And obviously there is a lot of gray between those two poles, but <laughs> if you keep doing it, you will cross a line where you're no longer doing it for you and you're doing it for other people. And then that becomes kind of difficult to to like work through and difficult mm-hmm. to like power through, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this is a mindset that a lot of people find themselves in. Obviously it's not a great one to be in. Mm-hmm. So people want to get out of it. Do you think it's possible to get out of this feeling of forcing yourself to stay at a job without actually like quitting the job?
1: Mm-hmm. I think when you get to the getting out, it's your calling to leave or your calling to quit. Because I would look at like paying your dues powering through, forcing yourself to stay and getting out as different question stages of your career. Mm. And yeah, the process. And if you are now at the getting out phase, that means like the finish line isn't there anymore. Like you're at a calling of desperation, which is like a really strong feeling. And your body is telling you like, it's time to go. You should go basically. And now you have to backtrack to the powering through because you have and go in mine now, which is your exit strategy.
0: Yeah, uh, Gene and I talked about this before the podcast, and I had a slightly different opinion, but we were coming at it with two different starting points. Mm-hmm. I think that it is possible to get out without leaving, but you have to have not gotten to that point that Gene is describing, mm-hmm. where if you're like very diligent and very like self-aware about where you've been on your working process, I guess, like mm-hmm. where you are with your job, if you realize that you're reaching this point where you're no longer centering yourself, there, I think there are ways that you can slowly walk that back by reassessing your expectations of yourself and Mm -hmm. hopefully reassessing other people's expectations of you and the work that you do. Mm -hmm. The trap that a lot of college graduates fall into, that I definitely fell into, you get out and you want to always be exceeding expectations, Mm -hmm. which is a really unsustainable lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I think any gifted and talented student will tell you that it is difficult to always be exceeding expectation. Mm -hmm. And if you go into a working situation with that mindset all you're going to do is like fast track yourself to burning out yeah if you're able to catch that and you're in a workplace that is like conducive to you expressing yourself and Mm -hmm. you like talking things out, uh, you can say to your supervisor, like, hey, I'm, re- I'm reaching this point where I think the work that I'm doing is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Like, can we have a conversation about this? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that that's a very privileged place to be. So I don't expect everybody to be in a place where they yeah. can do that. Yeah. But if you are, I think that there is an opportunity for you to walk back the expectations that you have for yourself and the expectations that other people have of mm-hmm. you. And then so that you can get to a powering through phase yeah. as opposed to forcing yourself to stay. Yeah,
1: yeah. And again, and again, we're definitely in a privileged position because I think we do that to some of our clients and collaborators where we're like, let's slow down. Let's talk about this. Let's blah, blah. Let's not do this project. You know, type of thing. Um, The initial start of those conversations were awkward. But now that we've consistently done it, it's just part of our culture. If you're in a workplace that doesn't do it, sometimes you just got to be the one to like take the fall and be like, "Okay, no one's asking. I'm going to ask. The worst thing that'll happen is they say no or going on line, they get fired and then just go for unemployment for a few months. Starting to set that into motion because the only way you gotta you can be able to get out of your mindset of certain things or be able to power through with an end goal in mind is that like taking some initial first steps that are gonna be hard, you know, like mm-hmm. confronting the feelings that you have about your job.
0: I guess the flow chart on this is you feel like you are forcing yourself to stay at a job. Mm-hmm. The first question is, is the external force an expectation or mm-hmm. is it financial mm-hmm. if it's financial which is completely feasible for a lot of people yeah. either you can look for a new job yeah if you don't think that people will listen to you mm-hmm. or you can like have that conversation yeah. and then hopefully try to walk things back yeah and if it's an internal thing then i guess you kind of have the same decision mm-hmm. but the two questions are what is stopping you? Yeah, and then how can you change it? Yeah, and the change could be getting a new job and quitting, mm-hmm. or the change could be maybe I can have this conversation, mm-hmm. walk back some of my responsibilities yeah. until I can reassess like where yeah. I'm at. Yeah, and to give a little uh, a little more flavor to an old story that I've told about mm-hmm. me leaving my last job before coming to Studio DPJ, I had conversations with my um, my employer, mm-hmm. and I was like, hey. I don't think that I can do this anymore. And they had said like, it is possible for us to walk back some of your responsibilities or like make this more of an open dialogue. And I was really grateful for that, having those conversations. But like when I was really reflecting on it, I was like, even though they are willing to meet me there, and that, like, this was me being honest with myself. Mm-hmm. Is like, I don't know if I can get myself out of that mentality without physically leaving. Mm-hmm. So I had gotten myself past that point where I could walk myself back, and I was like, uh, mm-hmm. "Well, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. Like, I, I can't. Like, I yeah. have to, I have to leave." And it was tough to like make that admission to myself that I had like gone too far off the deep end mm-hmm. in terms of like being able to like course correct for the expectations that I had of myself. Yeah. But for me, it was important to like separate myself from what I felt was triggering me. Mm-hmm. Not not through any fault of their own. It was sort of like I had generated it for myself too. Yeah. And that's what I thought was best. And clearly I made yeah. a good choice. But <laughs> again, I don't want to like feel like it's, it's me shit talking my old employer. It was, I, I would say 50-50.
1: <laughs> the only way we can, I guess, like justify the advice we're talking about is like, cause it's from her pre- previous experiences. The fight or flight kind of feeling, your intuition and your gut is correct. No matter what you know it's kind of like the true saying that your gut is correct because it's telling you like whether it's time to go or whether it's time to like or you can push through that feeling of like time to go doesn't come all the time so i think if your gut is telling you like this is a moment to leave you have to listen to it because and this also goes into like the ear- way way earlier podcast episodes on like the feeling had come that like 23 and i ignored it and then by the time it was 25 i was like no i should go because it took me two years before my body was like it's time to go like for real now Mm -hmm. it's time to go 110 Um. freeway texting calvin (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: but yeah i think that pretty much wraps up everything that we wanted to talk about
1: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah thank you everybody i really appreciate y'all coming out to listen to the podcast Mm -hmm. uh if you wanted to share our episodes with anybody we're available on apple podcasts and on spotify Uh, We also have a newsletter that comes out at the start of every month, more or less. Uh, And we pretty much just announce when a new episode comes out and then any other goings-on with Studio DBJ. Mm -hmm. uh, You can sign up for the newsletter on our website, studiodbj.com. If you scroll a little bit, you'll get a newsletter opt-in situation, and then you can sign up for it there.
1: Oh, I was going to say, and also our newsletters, if you've been on them, have gotten a lot of spice and a jazz in their life, you know, where we work with different artists now. We just wrapped Mm -hmm. up um, working with Not Kaylin Kim, which Mm -hmm. I'm so sad that it's done, but I loved everything that she made, and we'll have a new artist for the this the summer quarter right right yeah so
0: you should sign up for the newsletter to catch that art or follow our instagram mm-hmm. studio dbj we do not know what the x ex- no, we do not know what the next episode is going to be about no. so <laughs> we'll yeah. figure that out when we get it there. it should
1: be juicy though
0: <laughs> yeah thank you one last time for joining us and we'll catch you next month all right, awesome. all right.
1: bye, bye.